0: Good morning church. We're glad to see everybody here this morning on what we call every year Low Attendance Sunday. Other churches have High Attendance Sunday and we practice Low Attendance Sunday the first weekend of deer season every year. So thank you the few and the faithful. Uh, Some may come in with their camo on a little bit later. We'll see how that goes. But um, you are here and we're here to worship the living Christ. And we're thankful that you're here today. And so uh, I want to pray for us as we continue in worship this morning. Thank you, Father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for gracing us with your presence today. We are here for you, God. We pray that that would be demonstrated in in how we sing, even in the meditations of our hearts this morning. May those be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Lord, be our worship leader, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll open up to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 today, we are just about done with making our way through this little five-chapter book. We're tracing some unusual threads related to the gospel of Jesus Christ and some connecting points of things that don't seem to go together at all and yet in light of the gospel, they necessarily. Go together. The connection between suffering and salvation, for instance. We've talked about how uh, the road of our salvation is a pathway of suffering, and necessarily so. The connection between pain and hope. So we've talked about this living hope and how we, we experience this hope in magnificent ways through some of the darkest times of our lives. Talking about the connection between our trials and our triumphs. Again, things that don't seem to go together, the seem things that seem to be on the opposite end uh, of the spectrum of our lives, that we find uh, these things are necessarily tied together. They are held in tension with one another in the Christian life. These that would uh, seem to be a paradox one of another, they truly, in light of the gospel, begin to form a picture of the Christian life that is unusual and glorious. Today as we look at 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to talk about the blessed hope that we have in the gospel that comes to us in some some strange and magnificent ways. If you're able to stand, would you do so in honor of God's word as we read beginning in verse 12. Notice as we read that Peter writes to once again, the Beloved. We saw this term in chapter 2. We see it again here in chapter 4. It, it d- defines the sections of this book. We're entering into the last section of the book of 1 Peter, beginning here with this word, Beloved, written to the church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You can be seated. Father, as we walk through these scriptures today, give us insight. Even more than that, God, would you give us the courageous will to walk in what's set before us today? These are not easy things. This is the very crux of our faith. And yet it's difficult, Father. Show us the glory in our pain. Show us that our salvation is bound up with our sufferings. May there be this vision for us today of what it means to rejoice and be glad when we're counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ our Savior. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The truth of the day is this. There are various kinds of suffering in this life. But the purpose of all of them is to point us to Jesus. We talked last week a little bit about uh, the different kinds of sufferings that we experience. Sometimes we suffer... Because of our own sin. There's this thing called consequences. God has this principle in our lives that you you reap what you sow. And if you sow good seed in your life, then you reap good fruit. If you sow bad seed in your life, then you reap bad fruit. We're going to talk more about that before we finish today. But sometimes we suffer because we sin. Sometimes we suffer because somebody else sinned against us. And so we see in our world abuse. We see in our world insults hurled. We see in our world uh, the misuse of weapons. We see all kinds of ways in which someone else's sin affects our lives. We experience pain because sometimes because of somebody else's sin. Sometimes we also experience suffering and pain and trials because of what I would call Genesis 3, the reality that our world has been radically changed because of what Adam did in disobedience to God. That because of Adam's sin, the entire world was ruptured. Everything is not as it should be, and there's a part in us, I said this at a funeral this week, there's a, there's a part in us that when we see suffering and death in our world, I believe there's something in us that says this is not how it should be. Created in the image of God, we we wrestle with the effects of sin and, and the suffering that comes as a result in our world. And there's this general part of suffering that occurs because we live in a Genesis 3 world ruptured by sin. And we experience the general effects of sin and death on a very regular basis as we walk through our lives. And it seems to to be more and more so the older that we get. One of our deacons a couple of years ago had a conversation with me about getting older and he said, you'll know you're starting to really get older when you wake up one day and you realize that you injured yourself in your sleep. (laughs) And not too long ago, I experienced that firsthand and realized I'm starting to get into some of those type of days where you're not even safe to sleep anymore You may wake up and realize you've injured yourself. And some of you are too young to understand what that means exactly. But one day you'll get there and you will understand as I've come to recently. So various kinds of suffering. General suffering. Suffering because of our sin. Suffering because of other people's sin. All of them. Every suffering that you experience in this life is purposeful and meant to point you to Jesus Christ. The one who suffered in your place. If you walk away with nothing else today, please walk away with that truth. Take it to the bank, dwell on it, meditate upon it, and begin to see your sufferings in light of the God who loves you enough that He sent His one and only Son to suffer and die in your place, to purchase your salvation. You see, suffering comes and we're so quick to blame God. and God's so good, then why am I suffering? That's the biggest question we find asked about our faith in this culture. I want to say to you today, God loves you enough to take you into suffering. You know, that doesn't make much sense to me. I hope it will make a little more sense to you by the time we leave these scriptures today. Charles Spurgeon speaks about the lesson in 1 Peter 4, and he says, I have learned to kiss the wave that strikes me against the rock of ages. Just take that in for a minute. This was a man known as the Prince of Preachers. A man who struggled with depression his entire ministry. And he said, I've learned to kiss the wave that strikes me against the rock of ages. That's what Peter is leading us to. A difficult faith. A troublesome Christianity. There's a little bit of insanity here in the midst of our faith that we must embrace in order to walk with Jesus. Before we dive back into it, though, I want to show you something. There's a context here that occurs in the very first word of verse 12 when he speaks to the church once again as the beloved. If you don't receive these scriptures in light of your position as a follower of Jesus Christ being the beloved child of God, then you will totally misunderstand what Peter is saying. You must receive these words by faith as a child of God, the beloved of God, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the cross. More than 36 times in the Scriptures, more than three dozen times, the Bible uses the term beloved in relation to the church. It's all throughout the New Testament. Every writer in the New Testament uses this term at one point or another to to describe the church of Jesus Christ. Let me show you just a few of those. We won't go through all uh, 37 or 8 of them that, that are there. But let me, let me show you a few of them. The first one we find is in Romans chapter 9. And Paul writes that in relation to Hosea's scripture from the Old Testament. He says, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people will be called my people. And her who was not beloved will be called what? I will call Beloved. He's writing about this reality where the Gentiles, those who are not of the Jewish faith, have been welcomed into the people of God. That becoming the people of God, becoming the beloved of God is no longer about the nationality into which you were born. It's now about the faith into which you have come. The children of Abraham are no longer those who share necessarily Abraham's genetic code and his descendancy. But what we share with Abraham is a faith in God, our creator and our redeemer. And so he's saying here, there's this reality that the promises of the Old Testament made to Israel can be applied to the church of God. Just like he called Israel his beloved people in the Old Testament, now he calls the church beloved in the New Testament. And that becomes the springboard for the rest of these verses. I'm just going to read through them, but my, my goal here, I want you to soak this in. You need to hear, church, that you are the beloved of God. And so he goes on, Romans 12. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Notice as we read these, in nearly every one of these, tied to our position as the beloved is a command to be lived out, and they're difficult commands. These are some of the most difficult commands you're going to see in all of Scripture, but they're always tied to our position as the beloved in Christ. Let's walk through the rest of these. First Corinthians 15, therefore, beloved brothers, my beloved brothers, Paul writes, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Second Corinthians chapter 7. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. That's not easy, but you're the beloved. Ephesians 5. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. A difficult command in the context of beloved Colossians chapter 3. Put on then as God's choly one, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This truth about us being chosen by God before the foundation of the world is linked to our belovedness as the people of God. James 1.19 Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. James five. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him? Going on, First Peter 2.11. We saw this a few weeks ago. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Second Peter 3, eight. But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. In First John 4, seven. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Soak those scriptures in, church. Be reminded this morning of your position as the beloved of God. Because of what Jesus Christ did at the cross, you can bear the term beloved of God. And it is that first word in 1 Peter 4.12 that enables you to walk through these next eight verses and get it. But if you will not receive your place as the beloved, the rest of this is going to make no sense whatsoever. Three commands that are born out of these verses. What Peter is doing here is he's beginning to wrap up this book. This is the third and final section. And Peter kind of follows. I I told you last week Peter was a good Baptist preacher. First of all, he gave us finally halfway through the message. I'm wrapping this sucker up and I still got half a letter to go. That's That's a good Baptist preacher tactic. The other thing that he does is, from chapter 1, he begins to tell them what he's going to talk to them about. I'm going to tell them what I'm going to tell them, and then I'm going to tell them, and then I'm going to tell them what I tell them. That's what Baptist preachers do most of the time and do really well. It sounds like we're repeating ourselves, but it's for the purpose of emphasis, and that's what Peter's doing here. He, in chapter 1, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. Chapters 2 and 3, now I'm going to tell you about it. And then chapters 4 and 5, we're going to see, now I'm going to tell you what I told you. Okay? I know it's a lot of words there, but let me wrap us up here. Verses 12 and 13, first command of the day is this. Expect your suffering. Really uplifting, right? You were looking for a good word of encouragement as you come to church this morning. And the preacher says to you, expect to suffer. It comes right out of the verses. Look at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Subtext Expect your suffering. You see, suffering comes into our lives, and oftentimes our first reaction is, Well, what in the world is this? We're blown away. We're shocked by the fact that we're suffering some because. We've we believed, we believed a little bit of that false prosperity gospel that's been preached in our culture for so long, which says God's ultimate aim for you is to be healthy, wealthy, and happy in this life. I will say to you, God's ultimate aim for you is for you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy, but it's not necessarily going to happen in this life. In fact, he said in this life, in this world, you will have riches, right? No, trouble. Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. These are the promises of God. And so suffering comes into our life. And oftentimes when we get get the diagnosis or we walk through the valley of the shadow of death or we experience that time of pain and suffering, oftentimes our first response is, what in the world is this? And what Peter is saying is, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Understand that you are walking in what was promised to you when you gave your life to Jesus. Now, maybe some of you in this room would say, Well, I didn't know that's what I was signing on for. I want my money back. Stay with me for a few minutes. But I need you to understand this morning what we've already talked about previously. That the road of salvation is necessarily a pathway of suffering. So don't be surprised. George Whitfield led one of the greatest awakenings that, that our country has ever experienced. He was an amazing preacher. But as he was preparing for ministry, someone asked him, what do you expect your ministry to be like? As he was preparing for ministry, getting ready to launch out uh, into his first church, somebody said, what do, you, what do you expect your ministry to be like? Here was his response. He said, what will become of me, I know not. All I can say is that I look for perpetual conflicts and struggles in that life and hope for no other peace but only a cross while on this side of eternity. Now, he had not read The Power of Positive Thinking, had he? (laughs) All I'm looking for in this life is conflicts and struggles and a cross. You see, George Whitfield led one of the greatest revivals our nation has ever known, but he was radically criticized by the religious establishment of his day. They didn't like the way he preached. They didn't like the way he led his services. They didn't like the way he did revivals. They criticized him up one side and down the other. And he battled many other pains and toils and snares during his life and ministry. And what's remembered about George Whitefield is all the wonderful things that he accomplished for the kingdom of God. What's often forgotten is that was accomplished to the very thing that he knew was coming. Conflicts and struggles and a cross. You see, George Whitfield got something that if we would begin to get, the kingdom of God would come alive in our day. Like it has not been for many of us. So expect your suffering. Don't suffer a jolt, but suffer in joy. You're going, wait a minute, you're really calling us to rejoice in our sufferings. Not only am I calling you to that, the Scriptures call you to that repeatedly. Go read Romans 5. Go read James 1. I can give you about a dozen other Scriptures that link together suffering and rejoicing. Again, these two things that don't seem to go together whatsoever are necessarily bound with one another in tension with one another in the Christian life. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to be a mixture of rejoicing and suffering. And necessarily so, because that's the road that Christ walked. To be a Christian, you're saying, I'm following Him. Here in 1 Peter 4, the scriptures that we just read, there are only three occurrences of the term Christian in the New Testament two in the book of Acts, and one here in 1 Peter chapter 4. Every one of those occurrences of the word Christian occurs in a context of the suffering of God's people. In fact, the word Christian was. Thought up by the opponents of the church as a diminutive term, it, it literally meant "little Christ." They were making fun of them. You bunch of little Christs ran around. It was they were making fun of them with the word, and the early church took it on as a badge of honor. And the same should be true for us, as we are insulted and made fun of for the name of Jesus, as we are persecuted for our faith to bear the name of Christ as a badge of honor. Not just on the good days, folks. Not just when we're in these walls, folks. But throughout our lives. So don't suffer a jolt, but suffer in joy. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we need to understand where this comes from. Philippians 1 says, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe, but also suffer for His sake. And let me ask you this. Where did your faith come from? I hope that we could all go to Ephesians chapter 2 and see very clearly the source of your faith was not that one morning you woke up and said, you know what, I think I'm going to follow Jesus now. Now that may have subjectively been your experience, but biblically speaking, that's not how it went down. In fact, the Bible says that no one comes to Christ that way. None of us have, have done right. None of us have gone after Christ. We've all been like sheep, gone astray out in the wilderness, and Christ came after us and rescued us. That's the picture of the gospel. So faith comes, Ephesians 2, 8 says, as a gift of God. And what Paul's saying here in Philippians is this. Is he's saying the same way that you came to faith, that it was granted to you for the sake of Christ to believe, the same one who gave you the gift of faith is going to give you the gift of what? Suffering and folks go, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like the God that I know. That doesn't sound like a God of love. That's going to give me the gift of suffering. That's a pretty crummy gift. I'm going to return that sucker. And I'm not going to wait till the day after Black Friday, you know, to do it the day after Christmas, whatever day we return, all that junk. The point is, from the hand of the God who loves you comes both faith and suffering and the two are bound inextricably together with one another. You came to faith in Jesus Christ because of His suffering on your behalf. If He had not died on the cross for your sins, there would be no reason for you to put your faith in Him. Yes, maybe He was a good teacher. That's not worth staking your eternity on. Yes, maybe He was a good moral man. That's not worth devoting your entire life and existence to. But when he gave his life on the cross and he suffered and died in your place, now there's something worth following. So part of the trick here is learning to see that the God who calls you beloved will bring things into your life that are difficult. And painful and hard to understand. But his point here is this that sharing Christ's sufferings is a testing of our faith. So we say, How how could a loving God bring me through into a place of intense suffering? Well, let's look at what the psalmist said in Psalm sixty six. He said, "For you, O God, you have tested us; you have tried us as silver is tried. How is silver tried and tested in a furnace? You have tried us as silver is tried. You have brought us into the net. Notice the active part here. This is not a passive picture of God. This is God active in the suffering of His people. You have brought us into a not not you allowed us to go and get into a net, God. No, you brought us into the net. That's different, isn't it?" You laid a crushing burden on our backs. Not you allowed us to endure a crushing burden. No, you laid a crushing burden on our backs. I know this language is difficult. Just stay with me. You let men ride over our heads. There's a little bit of an allowance there for the activity of men, but who was the one that allowed it? God. We went through fire and through water. The implication is who took you there? God did. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. You see, we love the first part and the last part of those scriptures. You have got to test us. We don't seem to have too much trouble with that. And we love the idea of you're bringing us into a place of abundance. There's there's that part of the prosperity gospel they like to to narrow down on. But we, we miss the parts in between where God brings us into the net. Where God crushes us with a heavy burden. We love to say things like, well, you know, God won't ever put more on you than you can bear. Really? Have you lived life on this planet? If you've not been crushed under some of the weights of this world, you've just not lived long enough. He will put you through more than you can bear. Why? So that you will run to Him in complete and utter dependence because that's what's best for you. He will put a crushing weight upon your shoulders at times. Why? Because He hates you and wants to destroy you? No, because the Father disciplines the ones He loves. Hear me once again, church. God is doing something in your suffering that He can accomplish in no other way. When Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, if there be any other way than the cross, let's do that. And yet what happened the next day? Jesus willingly took the cross upon His back and walked up that hill and died for you. No one took His life from Him. He laid it down willingly. And the same is true for His followers. We walk the way of the cross. Jesus said, if anyone comes after Me, he must do what? Go to church every Sunday and carry your Bible, right? No, take up your cross daily and follow Me. This is the high calling of the Christian life. It's a little bit insane in light of what this world thinks. But in light of the gospel, it begins to come to clarity. The promise of 2 Timothy 3. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's been promised. So why be surprised? I think oftentimes it's our own surprise and the shock factor that keeps us from being able to walk through it by faith. We spend so long with our jaws on the floor that we forget to realize God is working all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Does that include your cancer? Yes, it does. Does that include the death of your loved one? Yes, it does. Does that include the loss of your job? Yes, it does. God is working all things. For the good of those who love Him. Even the painful things. Let's keep going. Do want you to see the fullness of this picture. The second thing. First, expect your suffering. Second, examine your suffering. Here, Peter is basically, in these verses, giving us uh, the authority to take the step back and go, why am I going through this? Why am I in this dark tunnel? And there's a couple of reasons that we want to look at uh, in a lot of these verses. And first of all, there's this, there's this inclination um, that we need to make sure we're suffering for a righteous reason. Don't suffer as a criminal, but as a Christian. That's what he's saying here in these verses. He says, so if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Again, once again, Peter's saying, now, now some of you guys are experiencing suffering because you've been stupid. Okay, so men in this room, if you commit adultery on your wife and she leaves you because of it, you don't get to say, I'm suffering for the name of Jesus and that my wife left me. No, you're suffering because you're an idiot. And, I, and, I, and we laugh at that, and we rightly should, but sometimes this is what we do. Peter knows that's why he writes this here because everybody goes, well, duh. We all know we don't want to be suffering for doing wrong things. But here's the tendency. The tendency is we come to Christ and begin to learn a rightful theology about suffering and then we begin to blanket all of our suffering under the suffering for Jesus name label. And sometimes we're just suffering because we've been stupid. Sometimes you're suffering because you've been a jerk. Sometimes you're suffering because... You've used bad business practices. Sometimes you're suffering because you've been lazy. Sometimes you're suffering because you've mistreated your children. They don't want to have a relationship with you anymore. That's not what Peter is commending here. Now even that suffering, again, is meant to point you to Jesus. If you cheated on your wife and you're experiencing suffering as a result of that broken relationship, that is meant to draw you to the cross of Jesus Christ. He died for that sin. It's meant to draw you to that cross in repentance and faith, turning away from your sin and trusting in Christ. That's the purpose of that suffering. Not just to leave you in the pit, but to draw you out of that pit into eternal life. And no, you may not get your marriage back, but you'll get something even greater than that. All suffering is meant to point us to Christ. But here, he's talking in particular about suffering directly for the name of Christ. Being insulted, as he says, for the name of Christ. Being persecuted for the name of Christ. Getting passed over for that promotion because you've talked a little more about Jesus in your workplace than your boss is comfortable with. Being excluded from your former circle of friends because they don't want to hear about the gospel anymore. Being not invited to the family reunion because they know, they know, they know that at some point you're going to start talking about that Jesus and they don't want to hear it. That's what he's talking about here, folks. And he's making this statement that sharing in Christ's sufferings in that way is a blessing of our hope. He said, it doesn't make any sense to me. How in the world is that kind of suffering a blessing? Let's look at it once again. I want you just to see what the Scriptures are saying. So, verse 13, But rejoice in your suffering, insofar as you are sharing in whose sufferings? In Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And if you're insulted for the name of Christ, not because... You've been stupid, or just general stuff. So we're talking about specifically suffering because you bear the name of Christ, then you are blessed. Why? Notice what he says. Why is suffering a blessing? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Some of you experience this. You suffer for the name of Jesus Christ because you've been an open and bold witness for your faith and you've been insulted and rejected and you've experienced the covering of the Holy Spirit in that moment like no other. You see, there are things that God does in particular ways for those who suffer for the name of Christ. In fact, when we look in the book of Revelation... We see a group of folks who are huddled near the throne of God and they're crying out to God, how long, O Lord, until you vindicate us? How long until you exact justice upon your enemies? They're crying out to God, how long? And John asks, he's like, who are those people? And the angel says, those are the ones who have given their lives for the name of Christ. Those are the ones who have become martyrs for the faith. And they get a special seat next to the throne of God for the victory parade that God is going to lead when He returns for His people. And so suffering becomes a blessing, especially when it's suffering for the name of Christ. Because God is doing something unique and powerful. We'll come back to that in just a moment. So 2 Timothy 2, So share in suffering. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Paul loves the soldier metaphor in his writings, but here's the deal think about it like boot camp. If the soldiers in our military spent all their time in boot camp, in the mess hall, or in their bunks, how good would our army be? Not very good, right? What is boot camp known for? Not the food and the rest. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, understand that when you were redeemed by Christ, when you trusted in Christ, you enlisted in an army. And there's training that goes along with that that is difficult. God has called you to a mission in this world. And in order for you to be ready for the mission, you've got to be trained. And that training means there's going to be some hard stuff that has to happen. There's going to be some difficulty. There's going to be some obstacle courses in your life that you're not sure that you're going to be able to make it through. They're going to take you on longer hikes than you've ever been on with giant heavy backpacks on your back, and you're not sure if you're going to be able to make it or not. There's going to be a testing of your faith that develops perseverance. That perseverance produces character. That character produces hope. That's Romans chapter 5. This is the way of God in our life. This is how He uses suffering to train us in our faith. Thirdly, this morning, I'll I'll leave you here. I want to encourage you to exchange your suffering. It's a glorious exchange that takes place in verses 16 through 18. I want want you to see it. First of all, what He's basically saying in these verses is "Don't don't suffer in shame, but in splendor. So he's saying, okay, so here's the deal, guys. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Okay, so when suffering comes, he's saying, so don't take on that suffering in shame. You're insulted for the name of Christ. Don't take on that suffering as shame, but take it on as a badge of honor that you're of worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. We'll come back to that thought in just a minute. But but it's the mindset. Warren Wiersbe says, Outlook determines outcome. It's how you view the suffering in your life, particularly the persecutions that you come into your life because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It's how you view those persecutions that determines what you do with them. And so he's saying, if you're going to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, if you're going to be a witness for Christ. Persecution is going to come. Insults are going to come. Hard times are going to come. But Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. And George Matheson described this and he said, here's the deal. There is a time coming in which your glory shall consist in the very things that now constitute your pain. Just take that in for a minute. What we're saying here is, That it's not just that God is going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. That there's going to be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. It's not just that God is going to replace those things. The message of the Scriptures is that God is going to radically transform those things. This is what He did in your life. When He rescued you from sin and death, it was not just removing sin and death from you and leaving you empty. No, it was radically transforming you from the inside out. This is what the Christian life is all about. It's not just taking your pain your suffering and getting rid of it. But it's God taking those things and fashioning from them a crown of righteousness that He will one day place upon the head of those who are faithful to live for Christ. Which will become an offering that you will lay at the feet of your Savior as an act of eternal worship. And you need to see that. That which now constitutes your pain will be transformed into that which is your glory. That's powerful. That will cause you to look at your sufferings in a new light. It's the very material with which God is going to bless you eternally. And so what does this mean? It means that sharing in Christ's sufferings is really a purifying of our love for Him. Let's go back to the very first word. What was it? We are beloved. That was the context of this entire paragraph that we've been looking at. These verses are are, are contextualized with the fact that we are the beloved of God. If you are following Jesus Christ today, if you've been rescued by His blood poured out at the cross, if you put your faith and your trust in Him, turning from sin and trusting in Christ, if that's you today, then understand this. You are the Beloved. And your Belovedness is by no means a promise that all suffering and pain and trials and tribulations will be avoided. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. Your belovedness is a promise that those things will come and that God will use those to fashion in you the kind of love for Him and for your brothers and sisters in Christ that could be there in no other way. Think about the folks in your life that you see walking in great faith and loving other believers with the kind of love that you say, man, I'd love to be able to love people like that. Hopefully everybody in this room, if you're walking with Jesus, you've got a role model in the way that I'm talking about. Somebody who just, they are a model of faith and they're a model of how to love God and love people. And I'd say the 99% rule is this. That love was clarified and purified and refined in the fires of suffering. They've been through hell. But they came out the other side knowing how to love in a way that many of us don't. You see, God loves us enough to take us to those places. In Acts chapter 5, we find the disciples for the first time in their ministry as the new, just previously birthed, Church of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. They start to experience the promise of persecution and suffering. A number of them are put in jail. They're they're beaten within an inch of their lives. They're warned not to talk about Jesus anymore. This is done. And here's their response in the midst of their persecution. So then they left the presence of the council, the ruling folks of the day. They left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They're just a bunch of rebels, right? No, look deeper. Look deeper. They rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And in spite of what they had been warned about, in spite of what would cost every one of them their lives before it was all said and done, they went out and day by day continued to talk about this Jesus, the one name given under heaven by which men might be saved, the only one who died on the cross to bring us redemption and salvation. They went out talking about Jesus because He is the Savior of the world. They did not stop. They did not give up. In fact, when you look at what happened as a result of Acts chapter 5, that beating only spurred them on to be bolder witnesses. You see, that's what happens in the Christian life. The insults and the persecutions and the beatings only serve to empower the witness to become a platform for our witness. So don't give up. Take home here, I believe, is, is really very much the same place we left off last week. In verse 19, he says, therefore, again, we ask, what's that therefore, therefore? It's an important word that's just cluing us in. He's getting ready to get to the very central truth. Here. In fact, the entire book of 1 Peter can be summed up here in 1 Peter four nineteen. This is the theme verse of the entire book, and it says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will... Notice, he didn't say the allowance of God's will. He said according to God's will. Their suffering was according to the very will of God. Let them entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And I believe this verse is laying out for us the very thing that we Concluded with last week. I just want to take us back here for a moment. The message is this. Keep wrestling, keep wrestling. I know we settled in here last week and it sounds like it's the same message over again, but it's, it's what Peter's doing here. He's continuing to drive this home because it's hard. What we're saying here is keep resting in the finished work of the cross. He died on the cross for your sins. Your sin has been taken care of. And in his last words, he said, it's finished. It's done. I paid the price. So that you can live in the freedom that I've bought for you. So rest in that. At the same time, keep wrestling against sin and its effects in your life. Keep throwing off that sin that so easily entangles you. Keep wrestling against that sin and the the suffering that comes as a result. Recognize when your suffering is coming because of your own stupidity. Recognizing when you're reaping the consequences of, of poor decisions on your own part. But also, rest in the finished work of Christ so that when you are suffering because of the name of Jesus Christ born upon your life, when you are suffering because you've been a bold witness, when you are insulted because you've talked about Jesus in your workplace or in your school, when you are suffering for the name of Christ, then you can rejoice because Jesus already won the victory. Rest in that. And the wrestling that remains will bear out in the life of the faithful believer an eternal weight of glory that outweighs it all. That's why Paul calls your sufferings light and momentary troubles. We me say, but God, they don't feel light like and momentary. It feels like I've been going through this season forever. Maybe you look back and at your life up to this point, and it just seems like one trial after another. And the call of the Scriptures in that moment is... Rejoice. Rejoice in your sufferings because your God has not left you. Rejoice in your sufferings because He will take the very material with which you are suffering and transform it into a crown of righteousness. Rejoice in your sufferings because the Father disciplines those He loves. He is teaching you to love in greater ways. He's teaching you to believe in greater ways. He's teaching you to hope. Just keep resting. Keep wrestling. Don't lose heart. And trust that God is doing something in your suffering that He can do in no other way. He loves you enough to take you through the dark tunnel. Will you receive that from Him as the blessing that it is? Father God, we have walked through some difficult things today. In fact, there's there's really nothing easy about any of what we've talked about. We would rather avoid most of it. We, we would rather receive a message that promises us health, wealth, and prosperity in this life, but You've promised us trouble. But You've also called us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross and scorned its shame and is now seated at the right hand of God interceding for us, praying for us, empowering us by the gift of the Holy Spirit, giving us the grace that allows us to rest in Him as we wrestle with the effects of sin and suffering in our lives and in our world. Lord, we confess before you this morning that there are so many times when in our suffering we cry out to you and we want to know why and we want to understand the ins and the outs. And yet your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are higher and deeper than ours. So give us faith. Increase our hope. May we trust in you even when we can't see. Lord, thank you for the grace of the gospel. A gospel that makes difficult sense of suffering. Draw us deeper, Lord. To that place where the message of this last song rings in our souls. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. Colossians chapter 1, Now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ for this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Church, may we proclaim Him this week with boldness, without trepidation or fear. May we stand firm in our faith. And know that whatever sufferings come our way, come to us from the hand of a loving God who will not fail us. He will not leave you or forsake you. And the day is coming that that which constitutes your pain will be transformed to that which is your glory. So take up your cross and follow Him. Father, give us this grace. Empower us for the task to reach this world with the message of the gospel, whatever the cost, even to our dying breath. And we ask this, Lord, in the majestic and strong name of Jesus. He is our boat.